Texas from lunchtime to breakfast. The sphere is infectious. What savory that's precious? What else would you expect? Welcome to Friday Night Lives. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us for our second episode of Friday Night Lives, a podcast dedicated to discussing the critically acclaimed television show, Friday Night Lights. We're, this week, we're going to be talking about Eyes Wide Open, which is the second episode of the first season. I'm Bree. And I'm Jeff. And we're neighbors, and this is just what we do with our free time. Yeah, lucky us. Lucky us. So now that we're going to dive into episode two, Jeff, why don't you tell me about your favorite scene? Sure. So this episode, we meet Corinna Williams, who is Smash Williams's mom, and I just love the scene where we meet her. It feels very emblematic of her character as a whole. So she's bringing groceries with her two daughters, and she opens up the door to her house, and she sees Smash Williams, her son, hooking up with Tyra Collette. She just has this, and I'm going to read this verbatim because it's worth it, where she says... Have you lost your mind messing with white girls after getting in a fight at practice? Is this to get back at Tim Riggins? And Tyra responds, who was presumably with uh, Tim Riggins, as presumably they're dating. And Tyra responds, what are you, a shrink? And then Corinna responds, oh, I'd be nice. I work at Planned Parenthood. You probably haven't seen the last of me. And I just thought, oh my gosh, this woman is everything I want to be. Just, she is so powerful and strong and independent and doesn't take crap from anybody and really puts people in their place. And then she says something about Tyra being a strong, independent woman and her being able to walk home by herself and not need to get driven home by Corinna. And I was just like, oh, Corinna, you are my idol. And I think that's all you see of her this episode, but promising this is no spoilers, she will deliver again and again in future episodes. She's just such a strong, powerful character. Would you say that she's one of your favorite characters? Yes. Yeah, I think she, I joke about having a trifecta of favorite characters in the show, and two of them are Tyra and Corinna, and then the third is Connie Britton, Coach Taylor's wife, Tammy Taylor. They're just such strong female roles, and I think even though there are a lot of great, strong male roles in the show, those three are just like unreal so it's worth it's worth paying attention to all of them how about you Bree? do you have a favorite scene from this episode i do have a favorite scene and the way i described it is that it's giving me all of my feelings it's making me feel my feelings which is obviously why feelings is a word so close to the very end of the episode coach taylor goes to matt saracen's house where he lives with his grandmother And he walks in, and immediately Matt's grandma goes and gets him a piece of cake. And she gives it to Coach Taylor, and he's very thankful and very gracious for it. But honestly, my favorite part is the fact that he actually takes the cake when he leaves with Matt to go do another adventure. He leaves with Matt, he eats the cake in the car, and I literally wrote my notes, so we take notes that we were refreshed um, when we talked to you guys about these things. But he eats the cake. And in my notes, I was like, he's a good man. He ate the cake. And I was talking to Jeff about that this morning. And I was just wondering if that was your impression of, you know, he ate the cake. That makes him a good man. But also, why does eating cake make you a good man? I honestly don't remember him eating the cake. That was how I honestly thought. And I didn't 
I thought he was very respectful, so I would say that was my thought, like, oh, he's going into a, one of his players' homes. This is a weird power dynamic. He was so thoughtful the entire time. He gave the time to speak with Mrs. Saracen, who I looked it up on IMDb. That's literally her name, Mrs. Saracen, the mm-hmm. grandmother. She doesn't have a first name, apparently. And she is just so overjoyed to see Coach Taylor, and, like, that kind of gleam in her eye is really present, and I loved that. But I didn't even, I, I honestly thought he didn't take the cake, and you, he was eating it in the truck, he said? He was eating it in the truck while he was talking to Matt, and for some reason, I really love that they included that, because for me, that really cemented who Coach Taylor is. It's not that he ate the cake because he's someone who is looking for scrumptious food, he ate the cake because he's a good man, and... This is something kind of that my grandma also has what she calls a good boy scale, and I've never really been able to understand it. She has a metrics for, she'll just say that some people are good boys. And I've, for probably the past few years, been trying to understand what that means and what goes into someone being a good boy in my grandma's eye, because she probably has 10 people that she would consider to be good boys, and honestly, it's the most positive label that she can bestow upon someone. And I always ask her, what makes him a good boy? And she can never put it into words. And I feel like I can really relate with this cake scene. Some of my grandma's good boys. Tony Romo, he's a good boy. Like, you see him on TV, and she's like, that Tony Romo, he is a good boy. And I don't really understand that. And then inversely, Adam Levine is a good boy. And I don't really get how that happens, because I think Adam Levine and Tony Romo are very different people who indulge in very different lifestyles. (laughs) And so I mean, For our viewers who don't know, Tony Romo is a quarterback, right? Oh, yes. Tony Romo is the like, current quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. And also, like, the people that are good boys don't always have to be celebrities. One of my friends is oddly um, one of my grandma's ten good boys, and his name is Gabe Brigado. And if you're listening, Gabe, my grandma loves you. <laughs> and she always makes me say hi to you, even though we don't. We hang out, like, once every two months. But it's, it's just so strange to me that she has li- these good boys that are all over, I guess. Yeah. Well, that was a great, yeah, that scene is, I think, so that kind of is emblematic to me of what Friday Night Lights is all about. It's a family scene. It's uh, it's about small community. It's about people coming together. It's about overcoming hardship. And then it transitions into this part, which is kind of something where I keep bringing up these coach Taylorisms. So he brings Matt Saris into the field and does this moment where he is talking and kind of pumping him up and it's at the you know it's Thursday night the night before their first game the first game that uh, Matt Saracen is starting and he does this amazing thing where he puts on the loudspeakers and it's all the audience noise mm-hmm. oh and I God. just love that yeah I really really liked it I again it gave me the feels honestly if I had had a scene like this in the first episode I probably would have watched this show sooner this is really this is what I come to TV for, is to feel emotions, and this scene gave it to me. Specifically, when Coach is talking to Matt, and he says the phrase, I know you didn't want me to set foot in your house today, but I'll tell you something. You should be proud, real proud. Oh. And I just felt my yeah. little heart strained. I'm feeling it now. Yeah. And it's just, you know, he, Matt comes from very humble beginnings. He is at this very small home with his grandmother, and he's working quite a bit for a high schooler, and it doesn't seem like his grandmother is working, so they don't have that much income coming into the house. And so you could tell he was a little embarrassed to have Coach come into his home, and the fact that Coach realized that, picked up on it, and then reinforced the lesson of 
you should still be proud of where you come from. This is what your your life is great, which is very meaningful to me. Yeah, I think that was such a beautiful scene to me in terms of not ever being ashamed of where you come from. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you realized beforehand, but I think you, you're meant to think as a viewer that now the coach fully realizes all many, I don't want to say all, many of the pressures that Matt Saracen is under. And that is helpful to him as a coach, I would imagine, in making Matt Saracen a better player. I have another coach Taylorism to share. So this one was from earlier. It was from a practice. And this is actually, again, Coach Taylor and Saracen. They have quite the close bond in this episode. And it's actually Coach Taylor kind of kind of yelling. I don't know if you call it yelling in football. It's just the coaches. I swear every one of those practices. It's just like a series of yelling. Mm-hmm. But he says, Coach Taylor says this to Saracen. And he says, you need to know this offense in your mind, in your body. You need to know this offense so well that your children are going to know it in their DNA. And I just thought... Wow. In a way that's beautiful and poetic. And it's also frightening to think that, first, I mean, in a literal sense, that Saracen is under all this pressure, but then also in just the fact that he is relatively inexperienced and there's so much riding on him being able to perform and perform really well. So... We have some new segments that we've sort of already mentioned. Favorite scene, Coach Taylorism of the week. We'll also have Tammy Taylorism. Yeah, which I wrote down something that she said this okay. week, and I'm not. It's not really a Tammy Taylorism, and what I'm expecting will be Tammy Taylorism because I've heard that she has great quotable lines. So I wrote down something that was a question that I had, where she says to Coach Taylor, she says, "Sugar, I think it's time for me to get a job." We talked about it. We're settled. And so this is in response to their AC went out. It obviously costs a lot to have your AC replaced. It costs your air conditioner replaced. It costs about $3,000, which is not something they can do comfortably. And so she wants to get a job to help financially support her household. And she make, she says this thing about being settled, and that resurfaces my question of, are the tailors new in town? Like, I still don't really understand if they're new, if they're not new. It seems that people have known them for years, but... It's just, it's confusing to me. Yeah, I agree. And as someone who has watched now two plus seasons of the show, I very much feel like I allow that to be this cognitive dissonance that I don't question for whatever reason. That when I remember watching the first few episodes, I definitely thought they were new in town. I thought, you know, Julie, their daughter, seems like she's this new girl at school and she's just getting adjusted. Mm -hmm. And Tammy Taylor seems like, in this kind of quote where she's saying like, now we're finally settled, which would make me think like, Oh, they moved in, you know, things are happening. The, the, you know, the season started, that's being settled, but it also might mean that we've been here for six years. If you go back to last episode where they were talking about the fact that coach Taylor has coached the team for six years, there is a possibility that, Coach Taylor coached the team, but they didn't live in the community until the last year. That I don't think is explained regardless. I think it's one of those things you just kind of have to like let go by the wayside and not question anymore. But is there any other what what is happening? Wait, Wait what? what? <laughs> that was planned. <laughs> sort of. Um, we just stared into each other's eyes and we made just, that happen. Yeah, it was really great. I felt like a little Ariana Grande. Just yeah, like, I did too. 
My wait what for this week is in relation to something that Lila Garrity said at the beginning of the episode. So she said she's in she's in Jason Street's uh, hospital room, which is a big part of this episode, and she's unrolling this uh, poster. Yeah, I know what you call that, but it was basically a thing that people put together to kind of cheer him up. And she says, "Isn't this amazing? The cheerleaders and the rally girls have joined forces." And that was a moment that I clearly went right over my head when I first watched this, because in my mind, cheerleaders and rally girls are one and the same. So my question for our text pat is are they different did you have are different people rally girls at your school when you went to high school than cheerleaders so at my high school specifically i think the cheerleaders were the rally girls however they don't have to be so you're you can there's so many different things that are set up to support the football players and they all come together to just provide support to them so you have your your drill team which could also be your rally girls and those are girls who it's very similar to cheerleading, but it's primarily dancing. They're not yelling cheers in the same way. They're usually in the stands next to the marching band, and they're more about dancing and high-kicking and those types of things. You have your marching band, you who I don't think would ever fulfill the part of Rally Girls. Um, so you have your marching band, and then you have your group of people who are just like a spirit squad, but it's, it's co-ed, um, so it's not the gendered stuff. Um, but... They're just there to basically make noise on the field. At my high school, they were called the guard dogs, and they had these wooden blocks that they used to make really loud clapping noises. So that, and then the cheerleaders, and then you just have all of these systems of support that just surround the football team that are just there to cheer them on. So the rally girls might, I I think they're different than the cheerleaders in the scope of this town, but they don't have to be. Yeah. And just the, that makes a lot of sense to me and a sort of, okay, how this is portrayed in the show, but it still is no less upsetting to me mm-hmm. that all of these people are, their kind of function is to support, as you said, the football team, specifically the rally girls really get me a little upset because it's so gendered and they literally are there to provide things for, for Matt Saracen, his first week being on, you know, QB1, he gets this first string rally girls, what she calls herself, right? And she says, I make a mean, isn't it, like chocolate coconut cake or coconut, mm-hmm. something like that. And she delivers it to him and they make posters and all these things. And it made me think of, even in my little suburban Massachusetts hometown, that cheerleaders did have that kind of rally girl responsibility where they would do things like make posters and make cookies for these football players. And the worst part was that the return that they would get was for for literally weeks upon weeks of cheering them on and making all these posters and making all this food was at the Thanksgiving Day pep rally at my high school. All the football players and the varsity team would get up. And I believe, I can't even remember if it was a single rose or if it was a bouquet of a dozen roses, but it felt very like The Bachelor-esque. And they would give it to their rally girl, or I guess cheerleader, sorry, but their cheerleader, which is also incredibly possessive, incredibly patriarchal. And I just remember thinking that was so messed up. And my brother, for example, who I've mentioned before on this show, played varsity football, had a cheerleader 
who of all things was kind of a friend of all of ours, which made things a little better because I think she was more on the feminist end, which I very much appreciated. Val, you're great. I hope you're listening. (laughs) Hopefully. But she was great in that I think she probably made posters because that was obligatory. And I sort of had this kind of scene in my head of like after practice, tributors getting to put together posters, taking time to put together posters. So she was kind of doing that with her fellow cheerleaders, which I felt was less bad, but then I don't think she spent a lot of time making my brother, you know, cookies or brownies or something, which I was hugely supportive of because I just think, you know, she's a human too. And she's also the same age and equally as capable and equally as bright. Oh, it's why do these football players get such special treatment? It's really upsetting. Uh, But going back to the like types of foods that rally girls would make Rally girls are named after pep rallies, which I'm sure there will be a pep rally in the show at some point because they're huge. But did you ever have puppy chow? Since we both had bulldogs oh. as a mascot um, yes. in, in high school. Funny you should mention, ask that okay. question because I didn't know that puppy chow existed until being a freshman in college at Northwestern. And people be raising money for this annual big charity that happens on campus called Dance Marathon. And I was on... The- Shout out Dance Marathon. Yeah. Um, I never participated. Oops. Did you? I did, and it was terrible. People describe it as, like, giving birth. Like, it's one of those things that it's a beautiful miracle that happens at the end. But, like, it's not even the nine months of waiting. It's, like, the giving birth part where you're, like, oh, my God, I'm in labor because you're dancing for 40 hours, right? Yeah, so, so you're dancing for 30 hours. 30. Okay, um, so. Yeah, so you're dancing for 30 hours nonstop. You're not allowed to sleep. You're not allowed to have caffeine. If you're, you're not allowed sh- to sit, right? Like you're not allowed not- to sit. You're, you, if you're short, you're really not allowed to eat because you can't reach the food because the food comes out on platters, <laughs> which I know is making me seem like really ungracious, but I have a terrible time. And now I donate to people who are dancing every year and I support them. But my body is not fit to do any sort of marathon, especially a 30-hour dancing one. Marathon, yeah. So that's the first time I actually heard of puppy chow. Do you want to explain to our listeners exactly what puppy chow is? Because yeah, so it's kind of like fancy Chex Mix. So you would get plain Chex Mix, and then you would throw in some peanut butter and some chocolate and some sugar and just kind of mix it all together. Chex Mix has actually made a version of this yeah. now that they sell. It's called Muddy Buddies. Muddy Buddies. Yeah, I was gonna say. But I'm sure it doesn't taste as good as the homemade ones. But that was very popular in in my school because we were the bulldogs, and so bulldogs need to eat puppy chow, and that's (laughs) what you ate. I don't know why we didn't make that connection. Um, That's uh, really like a a huge mistake. Okay, I mean, can't just step it up. What I will say that I remember from bulldog connection is when my brother was. In Pop Warner's, which is elementary school, maybe early middle school. And Pop Warner's is the elementary school football league. Yeah, elementary school football league. The Baja men's song, Who Let the Dogs Out, Mm -hmm. came out. And they, I'm pretty sure, I might be making, I might be like fusing storylines together, but I'm pretty sure they would come out on the field, this is at like an elementary school mm-hmm. level, with that song blaring. Yeah. Or maybe they would just chant it, because I don't know if you would be allowed to play music over the loudspeakers, but they would come out and they would all, like when they say like, who let the dogs out? And they would all like make dog noises. Right. When they do the who, who, who. <laughs> I'm sorry, they do what noises? I know, that, that was a one-time only thing. Oh, no! Limited, limited release. <laughs> yeah. You miss it, you miss it. Yeah. We used to also play that song over the loudspeaker, I think, as any school does with the Bulldogs. But that was our closing bell. So, like, when you left school... Every day? <laughs> we let the dogs out. Sometimes. 
I don't think it was an everyday thing. They experimented with throwing music in there every now and then. But it, it was interesting. I love that. This isn't like a high school level? or were you This is high school level, yes. Oh, wow, we did not have interest in So you were the Bulldogs for every school that you were in? Yeah, so the town I went to had three elementary schools, mm-hmm. one middle and one high school, so it was very contained. And exactly. so, yeah, you were always a member of the Canton Bulldogs, which I believe comes from Canton, Ohio. Maybe. Being Canton Bulldogs. And I think there might be a college that has some connection with that. I don't know. Someone in my family tried to explain this to me at one point, and I don't remember. That's but. really interesting. One of the schools I went to elementary school in, we were the Colts, and then the dance team were the Prancers, <laughs> which is what I was. It was a feminized thing instead of just being the Lady Bulldogs or the Lady Colts. We were the Prancers. The elementary football team was the Colts. And then it was something else in middle school, and then... In high school, you became a Mustang. So, like, you start from being, like, the baby version of the Mustang, and then you're the adolescent version of the Mustang, and then you're the Mustang. Wow. Um, I do love it that you start with, like, young Colts and get to Mustangs. That's Someone was very smart thinking of that. I Yeah. I, and I thought everywhere was going to be like that. I'm a little upset. Yeah. That. Um, Not everyone thinks ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so, I have another question okay. that, that I think is just a normal question that you would have if you were a new viewer. Which are Riggins and Street actually friends? So this is Tim Riggins and Jason Street. Jason Street is the... I'm just going to pretend like no one else has seen the show. and But I know if you're listening, you're probably a huge Friday Night Lights fan. So bear with me as I try to justify my questions. But Jason Street recently got paralyzed from the first episode. And yeah, he was paralyzed under the weight of the episode. He was paralyzed <laughs> in a football game. And Tim Riggins, his friend... I'm assuming, is watching playback footage of Jason Street being sacked, that the sack that eventually led to his injury, and he's crying. He's very visibly upset. This is a man that really shows very little emotion other than anger, so I was really surprised they showed him crying, and I was confused as to, is he crying because he feels like he could have prevented the sack, and that if he had done his job as a football player, he would have prevented the quarterback from getting injured? Or is he crying because he and Jason Street are besties? I, I don't know. I would say all of this gets discussed in future episodes, but but basically the answer is all of the above, I think, in this. And I love that scene where you see Riggins watching highlight reels in some sort of athletic room, you imagine, because mm-hmm. it looks like it's a school setting. And he, yeah, he gets very emotional. But the presumption is that they are close friends. But you learn in future seasons that Riggins probably, as I believe I mentioned in the last episode, is a sophomore, I think, because he continues to play in future seasons. Okay. So unless he was some, you know, super senior, and I don't even know if they let you play when you're... But the, I don't think there was any mention of him being a super senior. And I don't even know if they do that in high school. I don't think so. I mean, the grades for everyone are very confusing to me because you're not really seeing these kids in school at all. Yeah. Which, I mean, most TV shows don't explore the school setting unless they're on the Disney Channel or something. So they're probably intentionally ambiguous about everyone's ages because they have no idea how long the show is going to be on the air. But, yeah, it's, it's very confusing to me where they are in the school setting and also where some of these characters are in each other's lives. Yeah, and going back to the Riggins and Street thing, they are clearly very close. We had the bonfire thing last episode that very much felt a closeness between them and they were planning like their future. And then Lila Garrity comes up to Riggins after a practice, I believe, and says, hey, I'm going to see Jason Street at the, uh, tonight mm-hmm. and like you should come with me. He's asking about you. 
And so that clearly, I think, sets the tone that they're very close, but this is creating kind of a, I don't say tension, but like a fissure potentially in the relationship because it's a big moment for both of them and really dramatically is going to change their friendship. Yeah, I guess I just assumed that he had gone to visit him in the hospital, but I guess not. He I guess hasn't. it's very clear. But speaking of um, hospital visits. And speaking of feels. Feelings. Ah, oh, so many emotions. We have a new segment, segment called This Week in Feels. Because that's, that's what I'm here for. I don't know about anyone else in the world, but I'm here to talk about my feelings. So when... Coach Taylor goes to visit Jason Street in the hospital. I just had so many feelings. And first, before I even get into the real feelings, I want to talk about what the actual scene was. But Coach Taylor comes to visit Jason Street. It seems like Jason has gotten a lot of other visits already from Lila, from his family. The whole team was in the waiting room one day. And then Coach Taylor is repeatedly coming back to see him. And one, I just appreciate that Coach Taylor doesn't shy away from talking about football with him because it seems like, honestly, that's what Jason needs. He's done talking about his injury. He just wants to talk about football, which is such a – I don't think it's something I could have done if I was in that situation. But, honestly, talking about football seems to really alleviate some of his emotional turmoil. So I really appreciate that Coach Taylor comes to to do that for him. Also, Coach Taylor just, like, knows what to do always, you know, and we can talk about that at another time. But – he comes in and Jason gets really emotional after they're talking about, you know, do you think Matt Saracen is going to be able to do it? Uh, we think so. He just needs some some push. And what broke my heart is when Jason says to Coach Taylor, I'm sorry for letting you down, letting the team down. And that's the first scene of this whole show where I was like, these are the feelings. Like, let's get down to business. This is a this is great. I, yeah. I can see what people are saying when they say you need to watch the show. Yeah, that was so dramatic. And there's this visual element where Coach Taylor, I believe it's this episode, maybe it was last episode, where he puts his finger, or his, a few of his fingers, in Jason Street's palm of his hand, which he has some sort of limited mobility with at this point. And it's just like that connection that the two of them have. They've clearly kind of grown up together in a weird way, both growing up as an adolescent in Jason Street's realm and then for Coach Taylor growing up as a coach. And so they, they've spent so much time together and they really, like, it showed that closeness in a way that I don't feel like I even understood in the first episode. And I think, I mean, it makes sense that, that Jason Street would feel guilty and remorseful, but he has no, re- like, ultimately he shouldn't feel that way. He was a great player and did what he could and is really trying to actively stop a play. So, but yeah, oh, that moment, all the feels. It was so many feelings. And I was just happy that Coach Taylor can fulfill this role of just knowing, answering his needs, it seems. I, I wrote down in my notes and it, it was just, I wonder if coaches, when they choose to go into the profession, if they think about how much they weight the mentorship role and being a placebo father for a lot of these, for I'm assuming for a lot of these kids who it seems in small towns, you know, fathers aren't always in the picture or they're not very supportive. And so I think coaches definitely can fulfill that role. I think he's kind of doing that for Matt Saracen. His father's in Iraq. And it's just very interesting to me because I wonder how much that is a motivator because they, that pressure is on their shoulders to yeah. fulfill that. Yeah, I've never even thought about that as something that a 
that you think of a 14 coaching job, and it makes so much sense because so much of this show is Coach Taylor taking on that role of mm-hmm. being a mentor. And, you know, there's another, so Smash Williams also, it's alluded in the first episode, his father's out of the picture, Tim Riggins, his parents both are out of the picture. Yeah, and it's, it's a really fascinating kind of surrogate parental role that he takes on. And I think he's taking it on really well. And I wonder to some extent how much of this is that he is such a masculine figure and doesn't have a male child, which there's a lot in that box that I just said, but I wonder how much of that interacts with how his relationship with these boys. And so I think that's very interesting. I think this isn't giving anything away, but in future episodes, you'll notice that the way that Coach Taylor interacts with his wife, Tammy Taylor, and Julie, his daughter, is sort of with this understanding that they're he doesn't fully understand their experience in the world Mm -hmm. and things that they find natural are a little foreign to him and that he doesn't necessarily, he wants to be a really involved father and tries really hard and I think really is, but there are just some things that the two of them inherently get about each other that he doesn't get. And there is this sort of feeling of being a little left out of their kind of club that they just inherently get each other. And which because Tammy was working in the home, that obviously makes so much sense because she would spend so much time just being available. Another question for what the what way later yeah. is, does Coach Taylor teach? Because most coaches teach, correct? I mean, in my experience in high school, most of the coaches for teams did teach. The answer is no, he doesn't at all. He is the football coach. And I think... Some larger schools, I could see that being an all-encompassing role. Like, at a college level, of course, like, the coaches, mm-hmm. that's their job. And it is, I wonder if at your high school, I know if they weren't, like, the best team right. in Texas, but I kind of imagine that a coach for the football team, the head coach, that could be their full-time job. Yeah, so the coaches in my school, they usually taught some sort of physical education or a health class, which I feel like is the standard Ours was, where a coach goes. Ours was history, weirdly. Interesting. I don't know. There was a Did lot. Did you feel like he was a qualified teacher? Or that yeah. he was there a coach? Yeah. I think so. He, I mean, the head coach of the football team, my brother, was in high school. was a great, great teacher in history. But there were also a number of, like, the basketball coach was a history mm-hmm. teacher. And I think the baseball coach was a history teacher. Yeah, I guess some of ours were also history teachers, now that I'm looking back. There yeah. were so many coaches. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of teams in high school. Right. Yeah. But it but mostly is. The answer to the question is Coach Taylor, not a teacher. You're not going to see him in a classroom. Okay. Do He's, we see anyone in a classroom? Yes. Okay. Yes. That mm-hmm. makes me feel a little better. At some point. They're short scenes, though. Okay. <laughs> but I guess we're going to have to go more into the school with Tammy as well. Yes. Super exciting. We haven't even talked about that. But she is now an employee of Dillon High School. She's going to be the new guidance counselor. You learn in later episodes that she, it seems like she is the only guidance counselor, mm-hmm. which is kind of foreign to me where I went to a high school, I went to a relatively small high school. There were, I think, 800 kids in the entire school. And there were four guidance counselors that were for college relations. And there was one person who was called an adjustment counselor that was for if you had, you know, long-term mental health or those kind of issues that she could help with. So we had a lot, like a very robust guidance program, Mm -hmm. and I was wondering if that was your experience as well. I think it kind of depends on the priorities of the school and that sort of thing, and it also depends on what the state expects you to do as a guidance counselor. I think really in the past 15 years, there's been a big shift in guidance counselors 
being required to help with college readiness or to help with standardized state testing, which no child left behind. So that was a big deal in Texas because then guidance counselors who usually entered the profession to be able to help kids with different issues were being thrown into mostly being the gatekeepers of standardized testing. So I know at my high school, that was a big dissonance for a lot of our teachers. For a lot of our counselors, we had four, and none of them were explicitly um, for college readiness. I think that also depends on the resources of the community that you grow up in, but they they had the counselors split up by your last name, and so each of them had an equal distribution of students, and really, they, they seemed to mostly be there to make sure that standardized testing went along really well, and I know that that was hard for them, because that's no one really is like, I want to be a counselor at a school because I want to make sure these tests get done. So it, it's interesting to me. I think in a, a smaller town that that would be the case. Uh, but you would also probably, because it's so intimate, you would know more when kids need help. You would know more about like what's happening in the home life. So I, I could see if it's a small school, Tammy being able to be the only one. I'm also confused about how many students are actually in this in the school because I have no idea. Yeah, I don't think, I, I sort of assume it being like a big school in a small town is what, what my impression is because there seems to be, when it, you know, when it's Friday, everyone is out in force and there are huge numbers of people. Mm-hmm. In later episodes where you see rallies and things of that nature, there does seem to be a lot of students coming together, but that may not be fully, you know, emblematic of what the school really is like. Right. And I think it's ambiguous on purpose so that every person who didn't live in a city will think that it's the size of their high school experience. But I, yeah, I'm, I'm very confused because some of it seems almost like it's a town that only has like 10,000 people. And so technically, I guess the student body should be like 400 kids. This is completely based on nothing, these numbers. Whereas my high school had 2,000 kids, and the high school where they actually filmed a lot of this is um, in Pflugerville, Texas, spelled with a P, and the high school has about 2,000 kids. And so I think about that, and I'm telling you, oh, one's counseling makes sense, but for 2,000 kids, we had four. And so I- I'm not sure. Yeah. It's, a, it's an open-ended question, and I don't know if it actually gets resolved. So, And I'm going to look for any excuse I can to talk about Pflugerville, because it's such a fun town to say. So... Look out for that. Yeah, future episodes. Speaking of episodes, we're almost at the end. We're almost at the 40-minute mark, our strong cutoff. So before we go, we want to talk about our rating, our bulbs, how many bulbs we gave in this mm-hmm. episode. So, Brie, how many bulbs are you giving you know, this episode? You know, I think I'm going to give it four bulbs. I really wish I could go back and give the first episode two bulbs. And I wanted to do that when we recorded, but I thought that was too cruel Especially for the first episode. Especially for the first episode. I know pilots are rough. I get it. But I would give this four. I actually would agree. I would give this four as well. I think it wasn't... I think there are better episodes to come, is what I would say. And But I did love this. I thought that this incorporated so many things at once. And really, for me, kind of settled some of the questions I had about characters that we talked about in the last episode. I think you it's remarkable how in just an additional 40-something minute episode, you learn so much more about mm-hmm. not every character that you're introduced to in the first show, but I definitely feel like you know a lot more about Coach Taylor. You know a lot more about Matt Saracen and then other ones, and even Jason Street, and then other people you learn a little bit here and there. But I did think that it was 
a good foundation to build upon. Right. We were introduced to even more characters, but I definitely felt more comfortable with this. Also, I didn't have to watch a football game, which, thank goodness, because I, I think that really affected me feeling like the show was more for me because I feel that it more established what, what the show is trying to do and what kind of creative entity it's trying to be. Yeah, four stars. Four, four bulbs. Four yeah. light bulbs. Four bulbs. And if, you know, in between in between our weekly podcasts, there's so many different ways to reach out to us. We have a website, which is... FridayNightLives.com. It's nice and shiny and new, so check it out. Yeah, and we also have a Twitter, which is at FNLPod. That's just P-O-D. And an email, send us all your love letters and hopefully not hate mail to Friday Night Lives Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, and definitely let us know. We were trying some new things out with the segments this week, and it kind of it was a very different feel than the chronological style that we did last week. So let us know what you liked and so that we know how to continue. We're new to this and we would love to make a podcast that you want to listen to. Yeah. So please reach out. And thanks for listening.